This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. When someone is grieving the death of a loved one, it can be difficult to know what to say. How often have you heard or maybe even said yourself in times of extreme grief, there are just no words? But one man whose family is currently experiencing profound loss is calling for us to talk. The idea that there are no words, he says, need to be changed and they need to be changed now and fast. Good morning, my name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host this morning, joining you from ABC Warnable, Kirsten Diprose. Kirsten, today hopefully we'll learn to find at least some words in the most difficult of times. Hi, Rochelle. Yeah, look, it's a tricky conversation to find those words, but I think we can get there with a bit of curiosity, kindness and compassion. I really hope we can find those words that do help because Dr. Justin Coulson and his family and friends are grieving right now. They're grieving the death of his nephew, Logan, who died by suicide just over a fortnight ago. And now through great pain and sorrow, Justin says we need to find the words. So today you'll meet Justin, Logan's uncle. You'll also meet a woman who was widowed at just 39 years of age to talk through how we find the words, even if the words feel clunky, they feel wrong, even if we stumble, if we make no sense, are some words better than none? So today on the Conversation Hour, how do you find the words in times of great pain and sadness? What helps? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Good morning, Rochelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne. Kirsten Dipperow is joining you from ABC Warnable. And today's conversation is sparked by our first guest, Dr. Justin Coulson. He's the co-host of Channel 9's Parental Guidance. He's also the founder of happyfamilies.com.au and the Happy Families podcast. Justin, a warm welcome to the conversation hour. And I have to say, hand on heart, even thinking about the first words to say to you today after reading about the death of your nephew, Logan, I went backwards and forwards and I deleted and rewrote. I second-guessed myself because sometimes finding the right words does seem impossible. So firstly, we want to say how sorry we are for you and your entire family and your friend circle. But we also want to say thank you for your honesty and your bravery in posting on social media. What is pretty much a a call to action for all of us to get better at finding the words? Because I guess fundamentally, are we all just afraid of saying the wrong thing? Yeah, I really appreciate that, Rochelle. Um, hard to have conversations uh, for me right now, but um, just just generally, when we're dealing with somebody who's experienced a profound loss, so hard to. Uh, we don't want to stumble. We don't want to misstep. We don't want to tread somewhere that's sacred and sacrosanct. Um, and yet, as somebody who is grieving, in in so many ways, as much as I don't want to talk. I really want to talk. Uh, last night, we were invited to my wife's family's, well, one of her siblings for dinner, and I, I just couldn't bring myself to go. My wife insisted that it was probably good that I go. And as somebody who is a tremendous extrovert, somebody who loves to talk and share and be a part of everything, I experienced a level of anxiety before I even stepped in the door that I am completely unfamiliar with. And um, they made a, a well-meaning comment uh, my, my, my nephew logan was an incredibly good surfer he was one step away from becoming a professional surfer i mean a really really great surfer yeah. and on sunday we had a paddle out uh, on the new south wales central coast where somewhere around 250 surfers all gone on their boards and paddled out and formed a big circle and and cheered and splashed water and, and had a, a ceremonial send-off for Logan, um, somebody put some drones up in the air and got some incredible photos. The, the imagery is just magical. And my sister-in-law commented about how beautiful the photos were. And that was it. I, I had to leave. I, I couldn't, even, even talking about it now, I, 
I couldn't be there to have such a simple conversation. And 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 when you have that sort of situation, you can see why somebody says, "Well, there are no words because no matter what I say, it's going to hurt. It's going to mm-hmm. it's going to create a problem." And yet, once I composed myself. I just wanted to talk. I wanted to talk about Logan. I wanted to talk about the funeral. I wanted to talk about the paddle out. I wanted to talk about grief. And it's hard for people then to have to listen while somebody like me monologues about all of these things. It's such a difficult thing. And yet, it's something that I I think most people in grief, and, and yes, everyone will be different, but most people in grief need something and so finding the words has become i guess something of a mantra of mine after reading a book that really made that emphasis thank you for sharing so openly justin and i think the other part of it is it's okay to cry in fact it's really normal to be crying when you're when you're talking about them when you've just lost someone so recently uh, yeah, I mean, it, it just makes radio interviews hard. Yeah, <laughs> but 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 yeah, I mean, this this is this is real, and this is it, it's so hard to to work through this. If we go back to the idea of finding the words, though, there was this this line that I read in this book that said, and, and this is a direct quote for you: uh, that the man who wrote the book, his name is Colin Campbell. His two teenagers died in a car crash. Mum and dad were driving a drunk high motorist t-boned the car and two teenagers were killed instantly while mum and dad walked away without any real harm and he wrote he wrote this book about it and he said there are no words um in some sense we're reducing the person's life to nothing Mm -hmm. when we say there are no words and and i when i shared this on my um on my facebook uh, uh, timeline. A, a number of people got on to the, the the comment section and said things like, "In our home, we had my father or my uncle or my nephew or whoever it was die by suicide, and nobody would talk about it. Nobody would talk about them. And within a short time, that person was lost. They were lost from memory. We didn't we didn't remember them. We didn't. Well, maybe not lost from memory, but lost from conversation. We didn't talk about them, and nobody really knew about them. And the longer you go without talking, the harder yeah. it is to bring them to life. And what a, what a tragedy! Dr. Justin Coulson is with you, is the co-host of Channel 9's Parental Guidance and also the founder of happyfamilies.com.au, which is also a podcast. Justin, there's texts coming in on this. This one from Jackie, for example, says. Doesn't the saying or the comment, there are no words, just acknowledge that the pain is real and that words won't help? Sometimes I guess we are just at a complete loss as to what to say and we are so scared that maybe we will say something, you know, that is, like you said, a well-meaning comment, but at the time you take great offence to it because you're going through a stage of grief that changes rapidly and radically And sometimes it can be hard to hear anything that is actually well-meaning in a well-meaning way because we we sort of don't know what we're experiencing ourselves. How do we teach ourselves, do you think? I mean, who in society is going to help us get better at this? Well, I think that we have a really unhealthy culture around death in our society generally. Uh, when when I look at what my wife's culture does, so my, my wife's um, half Australian and half New Zealand Maori. And when somebody dies in the Maori culture, the, the body of the deceased is brought to the family home and the entire family, extended family, everyone comes to the home and for two, three, maybe even four days. And if it's not the home, there's something that they call a, uh, we would spell it M-A-R-A-E, we'd, we'd sort of say marae, but they call it a madai. madai. Uh, and, and what they do is they actually sleep with the body. They they sleep mm. in the same room. They They live in the same area and they have, I guess, this this period of grief and mourning with the deceased. And when I first heard about that, I was, I mean, I was in my early 20s, Kylie and I had just met, and I, I was appalled by this. I thought, that's just awful, that's gross, and ooh. Uh, and, and as I've gotten older and seen how this works in that culture, I've fallen in love with it. There's a beautiful opportunity for people to actually come together and talk, grieving the way we do seems so unhealthy. We need community, we need ritual, we need tradition. And what we've done in our society is we've removed almost all of that as we farmed out the death um, process to, to, to the, the funeral industry, to the death 
industry. And um, I, I just think we can do better. As for the whole, there are no words. There, there just there has to be words. There, there just has to be. Um, my my dad uh, and my mum were the ones who found my nephew. He was he was staying at their house. His mum and her husband were in Melbourne uh, celebrating a, a an event across the weekend when when he he passed away when he died. Uh, when I talk to my dad, the first thing that I'll say to him is. Dad, how's your grief today? Mm. Or, or I'll say, is today any better than yesterday or is today a down day? There's an acknowledgement that just by saying... How's how your grief today? That's good. I wrote that down and I just underlined it because that feels helpful and it feels real because grief changes every day, doesn't it? And it will go on for years, for, for decades, for your entire life. And it may not always be out and up front. And that author that you just referred to, I know uh, you did a podcast with him just recently when he was speaking about the death of his two children. He said, as the years go on, it's not that he doesn't think about, doesn't grieve every day. He just doesn't talk openly about it maybe with complete strangers or with friends every day. So asking someone, how's your grief? That could be really helpful. I, I've, I've found it to be a helpful comment. A couple of people have, have run that that line by me and I, I find it is an, it's an invitation to talk to the degree that I want to talk uh, and it's an acknowledgement that I might not be doing so well but it also leaves the door open to the possibility that today could be a good day yeah. and if it is I can say yeah actually I'm, I'm pretty good today. Uh, that's been helpful. You know what hasn't been helpful? When people say there are no words, you know what else hasn't been helpful? When people say everything happens for a reason, mm-hmm. that's oh, not helpful that's because like, I, I don't think that there or, or something good will come of it, come out of this. Um, Justin, you've got a big platform. You've got a quarter of a million people who follow you on Facebook. You can you can do good with this. And you know what? I think that they're actually right. But I don't want to think about how my nephew's demise can turn into a, an opportunity for me to go and make a difference in the world. I I, I, I have a, a different idea around that uh thing things like um he's in a better place now those kinds of things don't bring comfort they 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 tend to promote uh, at least in me a sense of anger a sense of injustice a sense of uh, well well-meaning misunderstanding mm-hmm. <laughs> and i and i and i don't want to again be critical because i know that we've all including me we've all said those words uh, because we have the best of intentions and we want to support. But but I just find something like how's your grief is really great. Going back to day one, every time I meet somebody is the hardest thing. So I'm now at day 15, but when I see somebody today and, and, I'm, and I'm chatting with them and they say, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, it takes me back to the very beginning and I don't want to go back to the very beginning. It's just so hard to be there. I think uh, Bob in Benalla has texted in with, with quite a good suggestion of, of how to approach someone. He says, hi, anyone with mental health issues, including grief, um, words are better than none. People often say nothing because of the fear of saying the wrong thing, but I cannot encourage people enough to move past this. Often the best thing you can say to someone who's struggling is, I don't know what to say, but I don't want to say nothing. Is that a good way to open it up? Justin, at the start, you know, you're acknowledging that something awful has happened to this person and you want to be there. You're trying to find the words. At least that's a start. Yeah, and it's better than saying there are no words. By, by acknowledging that you want to find words, it mm. gives the person, again, the opportunity to open up the conversation in a way that feels good for for them. And, and, and there's, there's a real... A real openness there. They they then kind of feel like they've got some agency in the conversation. They're the ones who now have the chance to choose to what extent they they disclose things or the degree to which they don't. There are so many texts that are coming through and we're going to try our hardest to read as many of them as we can today. But understandably, they're really long and they're really heartfelt. So it may take us some time, but lots of people that are just saying thank you and that this is such an important conversation. And I know, Justin, that the heartfelt post 
that you put out on your social media feed, it did circles and people were sharing it and started talking about it, which is the exact reason why today's program has come about. So it is working, you know, and we are starting to talk about it and it's really difficult and there will be times where we will say the wrong thing. We just will because as human beings, we're flawed and even though we may be well-meaning, the wrong words sometimes come out. But I guess maybe sometimes something is better than nothing. Justin, thank you. Thank you for coming on today because I know it wouldn't have been easy. And thank you for, I guess, asking all of us to try and find the words. We appreciate it. And our thoughts go out to to you and to your entire family and your circle of friends. Grateful for the conversation. Thanks, Rochelle. Dr. Justin Coulson, you can check out his post. You can look at photographs of his nephew that he has posted of Logan. You can read all of the comments. You can go to his Facebook page. I just want to give you a couple of numbers. There's a lifeline number. That's a 24-hour number. It is there and it is there for you. As we always say on this program, save it into your phone and call it whenever you need. And that is 13 11 14. The suicide callback service is 1300 659 467. Rochelle Hunt and Kirsten Diprose with you as we're inspired by the post of Dr. Justin Coulson, who is asking us to find the words at a time when it feels like there are no words. I just want to acknowledge a couple of the texts that are here. This one, it says, I lost my mum to cancer just six weeks ago and I'm watching my dad go through hell. He's not dealing with it to the point that my brother and I are really scared about him and we don't know what to do and words just don't seem to help. Paul, I guess you could start by saying, how's your grief today? I found that really helpful and just talking to your dad. Thank you for sharing. And again, there are always numbers there. There's the men's helpline number as well, which is 1300 This message is from Terry Kirsten. It says, I lost two family members in horrific accidents within two years. My friends were lovely. They all visited immediately. It was hectic and it was overwhelming. But then they were gone and that's when it's overwhelming. Please visit in life and not in death. And that's from Terry. And I found that as well too. And it's interesting when we talk about grief and in those initial moments of shock, especially when it's profound and sudden death and grief, People are there and you're surrounded by, you know, those the hecticness and the overwhelming nature of people wanting to help. And then everything just kind of stops and settles down. But the grief doesn't disappear. And then not only are you grieving, but you feel alone and really lost. So it's also acknowledging that asking, how is your grief today? That question might happen for a really long period of time. Yeah. And I think people forget that. And uh, we're speaking to a psychiatrist shortly because, you know, we've kind of been told that there's these, I don't know, five stages of grieving, but I don't know if we've been sort of fed a lie almost because it doesn't play out in a certain way for everyone. It comes differently depending on, you know, who that person was to you or your age, Um you know, there's this idea that people go through some sort of staged journey and and then come out the other end, whereas it's perhaps it's it's more like living with with something for the rest of your life. You know, living perhaps with a hole in your heart a little bit, or you know, you have to find a new normal. Yeah, that is a new normal. This Rochelle and Kirsten. Sometimes there are no words, but there are gestures. There's a hug, a meal, helping with chores, etc. That's from Angela. And others saying, how do you talk about grief when so much time has passed? My friend's dad died over 30 years ago and it's just hitting her harder now than ever before. I wonder, are there counsellors who treat delayed grief, especially when the child is now an adult? And that's from Catherine. So how do we find the words in the most difficult of times? What helps? This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Good morning, Rochelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne. Kirsten Dipper is your co-host this morning, joining you from ABC Warrnambool. And today's conversation was inspired by Dr Justin Coulson who posted so openly on his Facebook page. He's very well known across uh, his work with Happy Families but also on Parental Advice on Channel 9 and he says we need to talk more when it comes to grief. And this message for Justin, if he's still listening, it says, I greatly admire Justin and I'm thankful for his efforts in bringing this topic to light given the extreme grief that he's experiencing right now. Our daughter was born, stillborn seven years ago and for me I found the phrase, I have no words, 
actually much more comforting than the many occasions when people said harmful words. Actions speak louder than words sometimes. I just appreciated people being around me, even if it was uncomfortable. And if you genuinely don't have the words, that's from Amy. And Amy, I agree with that. Sometimes you just need someone there, right? Even if it's just sitting and you're watching trashy television or whatever it is and you're not saying anything, but you've just got someone beside you. And a hug can be really good. If you've got no words, come in with a hug. And quite a few text messages are saying that, you know, it was his time is a a terrible thing to say. And another one talking about uh, miscarriage, uh, it's Mother Nature's way is... Very unhelpful, um, you know, and, and one that I used to receive. So my, my dad died when I was a child and he died of cancer, but it was very quick. So it was within six weeks of diagnosis he died and he was 38 years old and people used to say he's no longer suffering, you know, and a, as a kind of, I think people when they say things like this, they're, they're hoping to fix fix your pain in that moment, you know, think of, of the positive, you know, he's no longer in pain, he's no longer suffering. But I immediately always thought, why did he have to suffer in the first place? That's what my, my childhood brain would do immediately. Um, but again, it's just one of those things mm. that just comes out of our mouth sometimes. And it's so different, isn't it? We talk about age, whether it be the person that's experiencing the loss is like, you know, yourself, you were only two, you're a toddler. And then like that text too, when the grief can be 30 years later, there is no right or wrong. And yeah. it is always individual. Professor Steve Allen is a professor of psychiatry at Melbourne University and the former director of psychosocial oncology at the Peter McCallum Cancer Institute. Steve, dealing with those difficult conversations is pretty much what you do and finding the words is what you do. But it feels easier said than done. For most of us, we can't find the words. How do we get better at this? Well, first up... Um, thanks for having me on the show uh, and it's nice to hear this conversation it's a really important and timely conversation um first up you know i've done it for decades and i still don't find it easy and i would often if i'm going to an appointment with someone where i knew that they'd gone through something terrible or someone in their family had died or they just faced some very bad news i'd often find myself in the morning rehearsing my first sentence just like people have said today in the program so far and so that's totally normal no one's an expert on this and part of the problem is it's different for every person. Everyone's in a different phase of their grief. And of course, the person who's speaking is probably grieving to a degree, maybe as an outsider, but they are too. And so they've got all these mixed emotions. They're wanting to comfort the person who's suffering. Um, so they're wanting to help. They're also wanting to be a good friend. They're also wanting to listen. It, so I guess my opening statement is it's not easy and don't punish yourself if you're not great at it. Can people sometimes find it hard because they just don't want to feel those big emotions? You know, it is hard to watch someone you love in absolute grief, particularly when it's that profound shock of someone dying. But, you know, we almost have to, to gather ourselves or are there some psychological tools that we can use to help us prepare so that we can go in and be that good friend or, you know, daughter or mother to that person who has really in that profound grief yeah look i mean the psychological tools we can use ourselves is just to mentally prepare ourselves and to go in there and to say to ourselves that we don't that just being there is probably the first thing you know get being there around for the person and um comforting them even if it's a hug or even if it's often just sitting in silence whilst they cry um is can be very comforting and then um and then i think it's what you're talking about this morning figuring out ways to come up with the right words and uh and there's some tricks for that too there's some you know little um tools that you can use to make sure you do say the right words what are those tricks what are those tools well, the first, the first one that I'd say is try and get a sense for what the person wants. Don't try and anticipate it. So don't try and come up with something that you think they want. So I would often start with a question like, like the, I think that question you had earlier, how's your grief today or how are you feeling today? And sometimes just as simple as do you feel like talking about it today? And uh, another one that I'll often use if I'm really confused is I'll just say how I'm feeling. So, you know, it's always a great tool to say how you're feeling and then be quiet and let that be the introduction like I'll say something like, um, 
look, I, you know, this is such a terrible situation. I don't know quite where to start. Mm-hmm. And so I give them that some sort of invitation like that. And then I can gauge from their response um, whether they want to talk. And sometimes I'll say, look, I really am not in the mood to talk about it just yet. I just want to talk about something else for a minute. And then often a minute or two later, they'll have collected themselves and they'll be ready to start talking. Um, so, so I guess the first one is just to um, is to try and get a sense of what the other person wants rather than guess. Um, That's really good advice. There's another thing. Yeah. Another thing I just just another thing that I think is a hard one, but I think it's worth bringing up, and that's the um, the scary line between being helpful versus intrusive. Now, listening to the conversations this morning, when you're close to the person, if it's a relative and stuff like that, it's pretty obvious that you're there to be helpful, and anything you do will be helpful. But sometimes, if you're just a, a couple of um, degrees away, like a neighbour or something like that, you can be keen to help. And sometimes in your efforts to help, you end up being more intrusive than helpful. And I hesitate to bring this up because I don't want to scare people off talking. <laughs> but at the same time, I always just run myself through it when I'm seeing someone. Um, you know, I run myself through the process of thinking, you know, getting it right so I don't push too far. If they give me early signs that they don't want to talk, then I step back because I say to myself, I'm trying to, I'm trying to um, you know, do that delicate ba- balance of helpful versus intrusive. And even the idea, Steve, and this is something that I will take away from you as well, is that you rehearse it, you practice it, you think about it, you sort of, if we know we're going to spend some time with someone who we love, who we know is going through extreme grief, then we sort of almost need to prepare ourselves as well so that we go in prepared and and not necessarily just wing it because quite often we imagine how we would react if the same thing happened to us and we can't quite let our emotional beings go there because it's just too confronting and then we take that with us steve stay with us because we want to have a chat with michael he's called through and has been waiting super patiently he's in essendon good morning michael good morning michelle thanks for taking my call you're welcome what did you want to say i think the callers that you've had this point in time had been very insightful and very um, wise. I'm just turned 60. Both my parents are dead, and I've had three, one of the, for a better word, stillborn children, which uh, is um, very difficult. But I think, I think I know that you've got to talk about it. The worst thing that can, um, that you can do is not talk about it. But whether your words are comforting yeah. or embarrassing or whatever they are. And it's interesting too, Michael, when people think, you know, uh, and what I'm saying is right off they're embarrassing. There's a text here that would agree with you and it says, when I lost my parents, people would say strange things, but I never took offence because they're under stress as well. So, Michael, you raise a really good point in that when people are coming to you and they're trying to do the right thing and maybe, Steve, you know, we're clunky and we're fumbling because like this text says, we're under stress as well because we sort of are trying really hard to not stuff it up. Yeah, I agree. And I I have another one of my own personal rules is it's better to say something in a clumsy manner than not to try. And that's I've heard hundreds, more than hundreds, of people talking about this issue over the years at work. And uh, the thing that really upsets people more than anything is when people don't try because um, often the person thinks that they don't care and they mistake it. They in the they don't. They're more likely to think that you don't care than to think that you were just lost for words. So, you know, I always say, if in doubt, just say something clumsy and then apologise. So if you say something and there's a silence, say, look, I'm sorry if I got that wrong. Um, you know, how are you going? And you always fall back on asking a question and letting them, and, you know, so that you can gauge their response. But, you know, I tend to agree. And I, and going back to your point before, you you mentioned in the opening, you thought long and hard about your first <laughs> sentence to Justin. And uh, again, you know, I can't underline that enough. Often when we're going into um, emotionally laden situations, we block it out of our head a little bit because we don't know how we're going to go and we're nervous and we just sort of we just sort of mentally block it out and think, well, we'll wing it when we get in there. The more you can prepare, and I'll even go so far as like you, I was, as writing down my sentence to try and get it right because um, 
because the the first sentence can really help if you get yeah. it right. But if you get it wrong, you can still recover and you can still be thoughtful <laughs> and helpful. And that's what friendship sometimes is about as well. If you're a friend reaching out or even as a family member and maybe even saying at the beginning, if this is the wrong thing to say, then I'm sorry, you know, or let me know or whatever it may be. And just being as honest as we can. Steve, thank you. It's really helpful uh, to speak with you today and, and to get your thoughts and expertise on this. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Cheers. Professor Steve Allen, he's a professor of psychiatry at Melbourne University and formerly he was the socio-social oncology professor at the Peter McCallum Cancer Institute. I want to read this message from Joe and it says, Hi, my husband died 24 years ago at the age of 35. Last week he would have celebrated his 60th birthday and today we would have celebrated our 25th wedding, wedding anniversary. I've learnt to live my life with the grief. Special days like today bring back intense emotions. I still miss him every day. Last week I posted on Facebook for his birthday as I believe it's also important to acknowledge and remember that person that has died just like they lived. That's from Joe. Joe, happy anniversary, happy wedding anniversary. And lots of people, Kirsten, are saying similar things. Use the person's name. Because right, it, it can even be confronting sometimes to say the person's name, especially if it's a child. Yeah, I love to talk about my dad. Uh, his name was Andrew, and um, I think he, you know he died before the age of the internet, so there's not much out there, uh, you know, around, and that kind of makes me that makes me sad because I actually like talking about him, and I find a lot of people, most people who have lost someone, love talking about them. Uh, we will actually speak to someone who I'm sure will have a lot to in common with our last texter who also lost her husband in just a moment. Um, but Rini is on the line in Geelong. Hi, Rini. Hi, how are you? How are you? Good, thanks. Tell me, uh, what did you want to say? Uh, I just wanted to talk about, um, so we lost our son two years ago to suicide very unexpectedly. Um, and for the first sort of four months, we were just in shock, of course, and mm. had no idea what, what to, how to even live, really. But um, a very close friend of mine, her sister runs the Compassionate Friends group in um, Ballarat. Oh. And she put me in touch with her sister. And at first I was very, I didn't really want to have anything to do with the group um, because, you know, I just felt unsure. Um, but I just found such solace there and like-minded people and it's all about, you know, people who have lost somebody to suicide and, um, I, I, you know, my husband and I still go to the um, catch-ups on a regular basis because it's where we feel we can grieve and yeah. there's no judgment. Mm. And you would hope that there's no judgment in grief at all in society. And I think even people, when they are well-meaning, and this is, I guess, what I was almost referring to before, Rini, when we sometimes impose our own feelings on how we would react and how mm. we would feel or what we would do, you know, whether it's even simple things like going yeah. to the supermarket or whatever, and other people may cast judgment on that. And to be around mm. like-minded groups is incredible. What a great group you've found. Yes, well, I believe that they are, well, I know they're Victoria-wide, but I I think that they're Australia-wide. I may be wrong in that, but, yeah. you know, when, it, when, it's, when it's your time, um, you know, to, to be able to reach out to people and you feel that, and for some it may be, you know, 20 years down the track, um, but it's just good to have that, that support there. Um, and they've also got a, a, a phone line you can yeah. ring in and speak to people and yeah good great. advice irene thank you so much for having the courage to call us today we really appreciate it take care thank you bye-bye see you i just want to give those numbers again lifeline is 13 11 14 and there's the suicide callback service it's 1300 659 467 this is the conversation hour on abc radio melbourne and victoria 
Good morning, Michelle Hunt here with your Melbourne Coast and Tiprose is joining you from ABC Warrnambool and we were inspired today to find the words. There was a very heartfelt post by Dr Justin Coulson. Many of you may know him from his Happy Families podcast or you may know him from Channel 9 on Parental Advice. He lost his nephew, Logan, to suicide just a couple of weeks ago and he is now calling for us as a society to talk about grief, to find the words when we feel like we have no words. Lots of people are sending us beautiful and heartfelt words on the text line, Kirsten, and we haven't been able to read them all out. So, look, we will try and work our way through them. And apologies, it's not that we haven't clocked them. It's not that they don't matter. So please keep sending them through. It just takes a long time to be able to read through some of these heartfelt messages. Yeah, absolutely. Look, in front of me, sitting in the Warnable studio, I have Liz Meacham. She's from Hamilton and her husband died in 2019 when she was only 39. He was 46, uh, leaving Liz to look after her four young children. Liz, thank you for coming into Warnable and making the, the trek to be here with us today. I'm actually going to try out the words that we have been discussing because you know 2019 wasn't a long time ago Liz how is your grief today uh today it's okay today is today's a good day and asking that question is a great question for people because I did read Justin's post about his nephew and the platitudes that people give you in grief can just be so minimising and saying there are no words is kind of devastating because there's always words. Liz and I actually connected uh, after I wrote an article that was published and about turning 38 and I'm 38 now and how for me that was difficult because that's the age that my father died and Liz messaged me over Instagram and we had this lovely text conversation uh, because she was able to give insight as to what it might have been like for my mum and I was hopefully you know able to give her some insight on what it's like for her children. Now, from what you've seen and experienced, what's it like for children to lose, you know, their their dad? Well, it's devastating. Uh, there's there's no, <laughs> there's no sugarcoating losing it. But I think the thing that I've learned, having been a grieving person, but then also having to be the carer mm. of grieving people, is that everyone does it differently. So. With four kids, I had four people grieving very differently. Um, They were uh, 12, 10, 9 and 6 when he died Um, and they all grieved differently. They are still grieving very differently. I had someone yesterday who couldn't get themselves out of bed because they were having what we call in our house a sad day. Mm. Um, And a lot of it is just accepting that grief just is some days and it's really hard to understand uh, for people from the outside but it's also just accepting that grief is grief and it's not um, disappointment or um, depression and it's not um, that people aren't coping it's just their way of handling um, a really big thing that they're trying to deal with the kids Um, The kids are amazing. They are incredibly resilient with the way they are going through their lives, having to deal with things that even adults struggle with, which I think is extraordinary. I mean, we have adults in our lives who haven't been able to cope with the loss of my husband. Um, And we have had people who have been incredible in the way they've supported us in our grief. But I think the thing that I've really learnt Um, from having people say things to me and to the kids and how we've had to manage it is that you just have to meet people where they are in their grief, not necessarily where you think they should be or where you expect them to be or what perhaps Hollywood might tell you they should be. Um, You know, like I... I did cough a little bit of flack for going grocery shopping. Um, I went down the street. My husband died on a Sunday. We'd had a pretty busy week. And I went down the street the following Saturday because the kids were going to school or school was starting and they needed school shoes. And also I needed coffee because (laughs) I wasn't sleeping a lot. And people would say, what are you doing out of the house? Or, you know, 
oh my goodness, you're showered and and how are you even upright and walking around? And I thought, well, I still need coffee and the kids still need school shoes. And, and so, the idea of people putting, well, this is how I think I would react, so that's how I expect you to react. And Liz, when you talk about grief and how it changes and every day is different and on top of that you know your children were so young if your youngest was six when your husband died life changes in terms of as you grow up you know so not only is grief a journey and it's something that never ends and we live with it we go through stages i'm sure their um emotional and, and mental capacity of understanding what has happened to them to your husband to their dad that changes as they grow up as well does that make your grief harder or easier because you're living their grief as well as yours I don't know to be honest (laughs) I (laughs) in some ways it makes it way harder because Mm -hmm. I have four people that I have to look after as well as my own grief Um, and that was in the beginning that was so hard but also there was an you know the the, ease, the thing that made it a bit easier was that I had to get out of bed. So I didn't necessarily have a choice to lie in bed and just like completely try and shut the world off because I had a six-year-old standing beside the bed going, I'm hungry. So I had to function. And so that actually made it better in some ways, not that anything really made it better, but it's... um. It was, it's been a journey to try and understand grief because I didn't understand grief beforehand. But I think what I've learned is you have to meet people where they're at. So mm-hmm. I might be having an amazing day, you know, a good day, but I could have two kids that are having a terrible day and two kids that are having a good day or I could be having a terrible day and the kids could actually be great. And the best people and the best advice that came to me was, um, just meeting me and the kids where we are that day. So asking those questions of how your day, how's your grief today, or just being okay if you were having a good day. Like yeah. there was judgment around having good days and laughing mm. and, you know, the world still turns. It's this really unfortunate thing with grief is the sun still comes up tomorrow and, you know like you loved this person for a reason or they were an amazing personality so being able to laugh about the good things that were with the person in the in the darkest of moments like in your deepest of grief being able to laugh about what was so amazing about this person and talking about them is always has always been really good for us let's take a couple of calls now donna is in castle maine hi donna oh hi thanks for taking my call um, I just was listening. I've been listening to your program, and um, just this morning when I got up, um, the tragic news of that poor young Charlie that died, and his dad, the policeman, mm, yeah. and how straight away I felt so sorry for that family um, because even way back in 1975, when my brother died in a car accident. Um, the grief is still back, still here. It never goes away. Mm. Um, people just don't understand what it's like unless they've been there. And you just would not wish that on anyone, the grief or for people that lose someone that they love, especially so tragically young and nothing's left behind that can remind you of them. They haven't had a family. They haven't even got to, you know, do what they would love to do in their life and my thoughts always are that you never ever get over grief yeah just get used of it that's so true donna it's so true grief just stays with you it changes and it morphs and it manifests and it comes up and down but it it stays with you and i can only imagine uh that you and your family must have been triggered you know by that car accident thanks for sharing donna You know, an interesting thing for me is that I don't ever remember not living with grief. So I've got nothing to really compare it to. I don't remember when my dad died. It's like I had this, it it was part of my history. And so I've moved through those milestones and I've grieved at different points in my life as a child and an adult, but it's, it's always been there. So I don't know what the world would look like otherwise but that said I've I've never had I I don't remember that profound traumatic time and Liz 
Can you explain how your husband Pete died? Because that was a an unexpected traumatic time as well. Yeah, it was it was very sudden. He had a pulmonary embolism. So we'd had lunch. He looked at me and said, I don't feel well. And I looked at him and thought, you don't look very well either. And he collapsed and he was conscious when we got to the hospital in the ambulance, but died very quickly thereafter. Um, and so that was, I had literally been having lunch with him 10 minutes beforehand and then he was, he was dead. Um, I think for me that the upside was the kids weren't there to, to see that, but the very traumatic thing was then having to tell the children Mm. and, um, and the, the whole I can't even imagine thing, if I thought I could imagine how to tell the children that their father had died, I don't think I ever imagined it would be like it was. Um, but I think for me also with learning through this is to be really honest with kids. Like I had a conversation with them really carefully about just saying that he had died. Something had happened to daddy's heart and he it stopped working. Um the fallout from that was pretty horrific but ever since then I've always talked to kids the kids about um about it all we talk about him every day um I talk about him a lot we've been I've been very very open about our grief because I probably like the callers beforehand found there was really not the conversation around grief like I really struggled because people everyone else seemed to know how I was meant to behave as a widow but I, I, but they couldn't. They told me I was doing what what I was doing was wrong, but they couldn't tell me what the right thing yes. to do was. And there's so. different <laughs> messages here from different cultures as well in terms of how we're supposed to act or react. This is from Rosa, and it says, "Thank you for this discussion." When I was 18, my dad died. He had terminal cancer for 11 years. Myself and my younger sister never got any support, neither did my mum, which has had a huge impact on our grief journey as it started before his final breath. The pressure and the expectations of how our Italian culture deals with grief was not supportive of life and goes on each day it's different as your guest said sometimes you do feel really sad but other times we laugh about our fun times Liz Meachin is with you as we talk about grief and how we find the words in times that are the absolute hardest in life Kath's in Tawonga hi Kath oh good day how are you going good what did you want to say uh, I was just um uh, thinking about my experience really with my dad um, in a, a sudden horrific accident and killed instantly and that was in 1987 and it was, you know, I've experienced grief and friends that have terrible things happen through my life but I just wanted to uh, make a note that it's very important to have the discussion with your siblings or anyone else that's experienced some tragic um, problem to see the body because no one really encouraged me to go and see my dad and um, so I never saw him and felt that after the funeral and continuing it for years started my anxiety attacks and Mm. also dreams that we'd just run away and he hadn't actually died so I think it's really important that if it's at all possible to see the body of your loved ones that's just a really important thing to do. Oh yeah Kath that's so important to discuss that I know and I'd like I could when my mum died, I couldn't actually bring myself to stay in the room for too long because I just I, I just didn't want to remember her like that for whatever reason. I found it so difficult and confronting. But then my auntie was the complete opposite. She stayed in the room for hours and hours, and it's everyone is different. I've never seen um, a, a body of anyone that I've lost. I. I don't like the idea but Liz you were agreeing very very much with that last caller yeah I I was very um keen to have the kids see their dad in the coffin to get to get that closure particularly because they were young to be able to see that he was 
he was okay in inverted commas like he was he was dead but he was at peace and I know myself my grandfather died when I was 11 and we went to go and see the body and as a child seeing the person it's it's not easy and as adults we actually convey our concern onto the kids like we put adult expectations on the kids but for a child to be able to see that and get that closure I think is actually really important it helped our kids immeasurably um they helped picked out the clothes that he was in and you know it was part of the process of them actually understanding that he was dead and just understanding it's it's really real sometimes i think we can want to protect our children Mm. from death and you know particularly if it's a a grandparent or a great-grandparent you think oh we won't bring them to the funeral or we won't watch them you know we won't let them see the casket getting lowered but i've always brought my kids to funerals and and fortunately for them they it's been you know great-grandparents and things that have died but i feel like that's a way of warming them up to what is part of life which is death and saying goodbye to our loved ones but we still have this fear of exposing kids or just anyone to to death yeah it's really it's really hard to know the right thing and of course every family is different but for my children and our situation them being able to go to the funeral and seeing so many people celebrating their dad and showing how loved he was and um, hearing the stories as well. Like I'm a big advocate of talking about him. We talk about him all the time. And I absolutely love when I get text messages or from people saying, oh gosh, remember that time we did this thing? Or, um, you know, oh, I had a mate who rang me and he'd walked into a bakery and burst into tears because Pete loved um, baked goods. He was a <laughs> purveyor of bakeries around Victoria. And, you know, even just laughing like that, you know, this guy walked into a bakery and he just, he looked at the pies and he thought of Pete and he sent me a message and he said, you know, the bugger, he made me cry in a bakery <laughs> in Ogan. Like, but, you know, that, that to me shows that it's really important for me to know that he's not forgotten, but also for our kids to know those stories as well and that talking and that open conversation. And I would say for anyone who's worried about upsetting someone, it's okay for them to cry and you just, like it goes through, you cry and you'll come out the other side and there'll still be stories on the other side, but don't stop talking because someone's upset, like... They'll still want to talk. Tears and joy can sit alongside each other, I think, is a good one to remember. And, Liz, before we wrap up, I just really wanted to say, as someone who lost their father and can speak from this perspective as a child, you know, I am sure your your kids will grow up to understand what an amazing job, if they don't already know it. (laughs) But I really understood it when I became an adult of you know, what my mother did for my brother and I and how she, you know, rallied and they will really, truly appreciate it. So hold on to that and know that. And another thing is I never felt like I had less love. Even though I was missing a parent, my mum gave me all the love I I needed. I never had less less love. So that's what I wanted to pass on to you. Thank you. I've kind of made it my mission that their dad would be so devastated if something that he did destroyed their lives. And so I refuse to allow this to, you know, wreck these beautiful little children that we (laughs) created together. And so that is my mission to make sure that this, doesn't destroy them because he'd be devastated. Liz, thank you so much for finding the words and for coming on and helping us because as a society, you know, we started with Dr. Justin Coulson asking us to find the words. This is something that you're doing as well and it's all those little steps that just help us because as we said, when we grieve, we grieve for life. So Liz, thank you so much. It's been an honour to meet you. Thank you. Thanks. This message is one of the hundreds that have come in. I lost my daughter at 18. I was surrounded by people who all grieved differently and deeply. Siblings, grandparents, aunties, uncles and friends. We became a community of people united by grief. And I needed to recognise that we all had to find the words and walk through the fire together or there would be no healing. A huge thank you to everyone who contributed to today's show. Make sure you look out for each other, take care of each other and find the words.